History 128, Rabbi Weiss. Today we're going to do an assessment, a description of um, uh, one of the, the most proud aspect of our life today is Qual uh, Yisrael. We've kind of surveyed as best to our best of our imperfect abilities. Uh, we've surveyed um, the different social, cultural world, the secular Zionist state, the uh, various Hasidic groups, the um, Mizrahi world and the uh, various wars and terrorism that's afflicted uh, the, the, the country of Eretz Israel. Um, I admit that my um, in describing learning Torah today, I have an Eretz Israel bias. Um, I've given some inadequate mention of some of the great yeshivas that exist abroad. Um, it's my perception, and I think it's a general consensus, that the center of gravity of Torah has indeed shifted back to Eretz Israel for the first time since the Amorim, since the times of the Gemara. Um, that seems to be increasing. Kimitzion, Tetzay Torah. They're phenomena. It's kind of hard when we're in the middle of it to, to have a global perspective on what's, happen and what's happening. You often hear people... Uh, understandably and on some level correctly praise what we have in the world today which is unique and, um, and, 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 and refreshingly new in the world the claim is made that there are more students learning Torah in kolels and yeshivas today and arguably with the advent of translations and internet Torah that makes it even more accessible more people actually engaged in the learning of Torah today by sheer number than um, at any time in history, um, certainly since the days, the great days, where we always think back on the, uh, those, those emblematic generations like Hizkiyahu's generation when everybody was engaged in learning Torah. Did you that, this year? <laughs> I'm recording it now. Sorry. That's okay. The, um, the, uh, yeah, so that's, that's something that's said. I, I have just a, maybe, uh, uh, like a footnote to add to that statement. It's true, there are a lot of people learning. I don't know how you go about accessing such a thing, but the negative side of that is that the quality of the learning, the level of the learning is um, pathetically low. And it's true to a number of, due to a number of factors, the most obvious of the incredible cultural shift that Klai Yisrael has undergone just by physical trans transition from of being based in the mainland of Europe and then being sent um, often traumatically to all four corners of the world, including to Palestine, having to regroup and relearn, um, has, had a, has had a ripple effect on, on, on Kuala Yisrael, and um, not always for the better. So people lament the relatively low level of learning. You hear it, let's say you read the Mikhtab Meliyahu, Rav, uh, Rav, Rav Dessler's um, comments. He's, he's writing just a few years after the Shoah, and already in the 1950s he's, he's, he's remarking and how he goes to the yeshivas, the boys are learning, but it's shallow. He, uh, you know, he's amazed at the, he asks questions that he considers to be fundamental, they can't get it. He, he felt that before the Shoah, there were problems before the show. You remember the majority of the, of the, of the people in Poland already, that Poland is this, this great religious center, the Polish Jews were predominantly off the derrick, but where they were on and where they were learning, the learning was on such a high level, and in such a short time, it, it, uh, it declined. 
kind of reminding us of the decline. We hear the, the great Amoraim decline, de, de, you know, de, de, describing the decline from the days of the Tanaim already. Rav and Abayah said that people couldn't understand what it used to take five minutes to explain once upon a time. Now it would take several hours to explain. So I think we understand on that level. So in raw numbers, terrifically, we have a lot of people learning, but in terms of how they're learning, what they're learning, the substance, do they really have a command, the cues, the iun, that often leaves something to be desired. The, um, one hears from Gedolim the need to return to what's called iun learning, meaning not superficial understanding of the texts. Uh, we're increasingly superficial. When I say we, I'm not talking about like our types. Talking about people who grew up in Taira and were committed from a young age and are learning on a decent level, and so it's, so the criticism maybe it's hard for us to understand is is uh, is leveled at people who consider what they're doing to be iyun. But when others look at what they're doing, they say that's barely bikus. That's barely uh, again biyun is uh, is in depth. Bikus is more broad. Um, so the need to return to a much more uh, um, penetrating level of analysis, of deep analysis more than any other endeavor, that's what they say will address the deficiencies of our age. Uh, that just came up earlier today, who was asking me this, Jake was asking me this, about the, um, how did it come up, he was saying, um, that what we need to be doing, I always illustrate, you've heard me say this before, by, by according to balance and at the Siyum Ashas by the Dafyomi, saying, Kolakavod, wonderful, Balabatim learning Taira, very nice. There are people actually who take on, who learn by the regimen of Dafyomi, but they're learning Bi'iyun. I don't think Rebalancing was dismissing them. But he was saying, you can't make an equivalence. You can't draw a parity between people whose Torasim Umanusam, which means that Torah is what they do in life, and they do it with all their heart and soul, Nasir's Nefesh, Yomam Velayla, day and night, on a very, very high level, those are the people who really say it in Kalal Yisrael. Oh, I know how it came up, and it's going to be relevant for our discussion. Um, he was saying, Jake was, Jake was saying, I, I showed him my kosher telephone that has no capabilities, Baruch Hashem, other than it's a telephone. That's what it can do. Uh, one of the ways in my, the model that I have that they make it a kosher telephone is to um, destroy it. You heard the conversation? No, but actually you've seen it done. Right, so they destroy the camera, there's no texting, there's none of, none, none of the other perks that come with usual um, cameras. And, and Jake's point was that, hmm, what a shame. So many people, and I think he was referring to himself, he said so many people would take a kosher telephone if at least you could allow mutter texting. You know, limit, minimal, not, nothing, nothing trade. But the, the, the fact that the ante is up so drastically, the fact that it's so, uh, the um, level is so strict, he said it's going to turn a lot of people off and people are not going to do it. And I said, exactly. You're part of a Kiruv mentality, which is how a lot of Jews raised in exile. That's the way Judaism is. It's, it's outreach-oriented. Uh, it's what Derek does. We dilute it. We try to make it palatable and sweet, try to make your experience. Oh, I'm sorry. Shachris is too hard for you to wake up? Okay, Bobola. Right, come to Mincha instead in your tefillin. We have it. We, if we don't say it explicitly, at least the, what's implicit is that that's okay. All right, for a Balchuva kind of a, an environment, that's what, you can, that's what you have to do. But um, I said, the Gedolim really are putting their eggs in a certain basket intentionally. They're, they're, they understand that if you have a serious core committed group, 
of Talmud Chachamim, everything should be around them. And the other people, okay, they'll schlep along, they'll do their best, but they're not the, they're not the people around which policy is set. And Peloton is a, good, is a good illustration of that. The fact that they have no texting capacity, because texting could take a person, and often does, take a, pay, a person away from what they're doing in the here and now. It's such a, uh-oh, it's such a taiva, as some of you well know, it's such a desire to take out the phone and do it in the middle of sheer and so on. If all your phone does is make phone calls, Hopefully, you're not going to do that in the middle of Shear, although everything's possible in our generation. Um, you know, you'll, you'll use it minimally, and that's what's intended. And the policy that's given for all of Kali Yisrael, who are listening to the Dolim at least, is that's the standard. No texting. Even though for, let's say, seminary girls, they don't have the mitzvah Talmud Torah, they could potentially text and not, and not have it be a major problem. Uh, Balabanting people who have professions often want to text, it makes life business easier and so on, but they're not important. We don't make the policy decisions around those people. They're not the ones who are going to bring gulula. I, we never write anybody off, and of course they're important, bubble, you're all important, we love you to pieces, but um, we set policy around the main people. And um, that's a good point to start off on now. We're talking about, today we're talking about the, um, the proud aspect of our generation, like any generation, is the, is the Limut Torah. In fact, I just learned this morning the um, Gemara in Sanhedrin that um, it mentions by Bilam Harasha that he gives a lot of blessings to Klal Yisrael. But through the blessings, the Gemara points out, you can actually infer what he originally wanted to curse the Jews. When he says, Yaakov, he really wanted to say that our Bate Medrash, our Bate Knesset should all be, uh, should all be up, up, uprooted and destroyed. But it came out because the Kaddish Baruch put either an angel or a hook in his mouth that forced him to turn the curse into a blessing um, around. There's a parallel to it in Tainus. Right. Oh, the Gemara in also talks about something very similar. Then, what's, what I'm, what, what, what's relevant here, the Gemara then says that the, um, in the end, ironically, all of the curses wound up coming true. Our base in Mikdash was destroyed. The Jews were put into another land. Our, we, our, we were brought down to size. Everything that Bilam insinuated should happen to us in the negative in our history, as we well know, after coming through, three, uh, after coming through our, our, you know, to 57, 50, uh, 57, 75, where we find ourselves today, um, you know, it all came true except for one. Matovo Yaakov, we've always had our bus based measures. We've always had the Beknesset. It's the Lombe Taira who sustained Kla Yisrael through history. And that's, that's why that's our theme for today. And we're talking about uh, the importance of learning Taira and, and especially those who really, their um, whole life, their whole mysterious nefesh, their self sacrifice uh, is based around this. Go ahead. Yeah, um, the, the Gemara Antanas has, has one more point on it. It says, uh, that just shows that the curse of a uh, of a friend yeah. is is more potent and is better than a blessing from you. This Gemara says the same thing. Oh, it contrasts it with Achia Hashiloni. From uh, no. Fine. Different difference. Anyway, Achia gives uh, what sounds like a negative curse, but it's, he, he likens Amisrael with a reed, but a oh, reed no, in the water. It's, it's Achia Shiloni, and, 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 but the weed ultimately weathers everything. It comes out it's standing straight. Right, it's, then the cedar tree. That's, that's, the, that's exactly the same. It's a single arm. Um, we described before the Hevra Salomdim that was um, nurtured and created by the, the likes of the, the Chazonish and the Panovich Rebbe and the Stifler Gaon and Rav Shach. 
their, their idea to strive to create a new level of Torah. They had, we said, a lot of chidushim, a lot of radical ideas, on some level sometimes breaking from the standard way of life of the Shulchan Aruch, where in many instances the wife becomes the breadwinner, even though, according to the Shulchan Aruch, it's the husband who's supposed to bring the money home, but in this new Hebra Salomnim, in this new social order in which Taira is more urgent than ever in order to correct the uh, various wrongs of our generation and help reverse things and bring, it, bring around the Mashiach, um, it's understood that the man's learning is of such critical importance. Let the woman go work. Let the man stay in the base medrash and do it full time as long as they can fiscally hold out, as long as they can economically manage. Uh, that's, that's a chiddush of our times. Um, we saw in the days of the Chazonish how deplorable in the 1930s things had become where just a few almost bankrupt yeshivas that existed barely had students in Eretz Israel, and how within, um, within 80 years as we look, we, we look back from where we're holding today 80 years later what a revolution has been created in, in uh, spectacular yeshivas uh, literally attracting the best and the brightest students from around the world. I know that um, where one of my sons learns, um, he actually has, there are students, I'm amazed that these, that these students can make it. They come from Brazil, a couple boys from Sao Paulo community, there are a couple, there are a couple boys who, who, who are from um, France, and they come in to a very Israeli, okay, they're Haredi, Yeshivish, Israeli boys, but they speak Hebrew. There's a certain very... Um, Conformist culture, uh, and 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 uh, that that these foreigners have to make it in, and, and and my son says, yeah, they manage, they manage, they are they, it, it, the best and the brightest will rise eventually. Sometimes uh, the the transition is hard, but if they can manage, if they can make it past past the you know the kol hat kashot, all beginnings are hard. You make it past the first the first stage, um, they said to do well. Now, we talked about the telephones. Part of this Hebra Salomdim is made possible in Eretz Israel, and I think this is true more so than in, even in contrast to some of the great yeshivas of the diaspora with Lakewood near Israel, Gateshead, and elsewhere. Um, what those countries and cultures tend to lack, and I'm generalizing here, so I'm sure there are exceptions to this rule, but in Eretz Israel, one finds a high, rigorous, some would say machmir, stringent standard um, and singularity of purpose, it's all for Limit Torah. How does that come out? How does that pra- manifest itself? So you saw the, the whole metaphor of the telephone, of the, of the cell phone and, 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 and what we do. Uh, how about something prosaic like sports? I think in many places, in Chutzlaretz, outside of the land of Israel, uh, it's compatible, people learn in yeshiva and play sometimes even organized team sports. That's effectively unheard of. In the series Yeshivas of Eretz Israel, it's Bittelsman and organized team sports which could be addictive, which could be, you know how, you know how men are, right? They get obsessed with these things. Um, they don't do that. Maybe, maybe they'll go and they'll, you know, they'll run outside and kick a ball around for a few minutes. But you know, the real Masmidim, the real serious guys, Bittel Tyra. They wouldn't even lower themselves to kicking the ball around. That's the that's 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 the nature of, of the society. As it's a pressure cooker, um, it creates a fallout. There are people who don't make it in the system. The Gedolim are aware of that. It's 
what you might call, I don't know, they, they wouldn't use this term, and I, I, don't, I hesitate to use the term because it sounds cynical, but what we can call collateral damage. Whenever you have this kind of pressure cooker situation, there are going to be people who fall out. That's tragic and unfortunate. We should do what we can to try to help those, help those people who don't make it in, the, in, this, in this very uh, strong, in this very difficult system, but it's, it's necessary. In order to bring Torah back, to return and, and use the, uh, the, what, the, 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 the Pasuk in Ravaji, I quoted, the, I quoted Ravaji using this Pasuk, to, to bring the Keser, the crown, back to its former glory. That's what's being done here. And sometimes you have to shoot high, uh, and there are going to be negative, um, there's going to be fallout consequences, and so be it. Um, the uh, singularity of purpose is illustrated by um, the idea of pursuing a career in the normative yeshivish yeshivas. When I say yeshivish, you know, I'm talking about mostly litvish, even though today there's tremendous integration. Um, a huge amount of Sephardi people are yeshivish, a huge amount of Hasidic people learning yeshivish yeshivas and the, and the cultures overlap. I'm going to talk about these three, these three, area, these three uh, cultures and how integrated they are in many ways. Um, but in Eretz Yisrael, the idea that career is less primary, it's reduced, it's looked down upon. Um, in certain yeshivas, let's say, the admissions requirement, if your father's a balabas, meaning he doesn't learn in kolel, he works for a living, the son wouldn't get accepted to the yeshiva. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's a standard because career is looked down upon. In America, quite the contrary with exceptions, but in many of the strong yeshivas, the idea of having a career on the side is often seen very positively. Is that okay, is that Like you have to be kolel or could you be a rebbe too? A Rebbe may be called Klei Kodesh, maybe it's considered somewhere, you're right, yeah, uh, somehow in, in Chinuch, in Klei Kodesh, that could somehow pass the muster. But, um, you know, something serious, rigorous, uh, full-time Torah on some level is what's, is, is what's demanded if the father Nebuch is uh, an accountant, so it's, in Eretz Yisrael, there's a stigma attached to that. And you can say, for better and for worse, you can criticize it, I'm describing the reality as it is. The... Uh, in, from the youngest age, from cheder even, from the boys in elementary school. In Eretz I know in uh, many places abroad, cheder is actually the high school. I think in Los Angeles, the cheder is the high school, which in, to Israeli ears, it sounds ironic. They go to a cheder, they're, they're in high school, they go to a cheder still. Cheder, classically, is elementary school. And that's, that's, the, that's what it's called in Eretz Yisrael. And from a very young age, the boys are encouraged to just learn Torah. And there are secular studies, I've mentioned this before, they learn Teva, right, the, the Nisim Niflaus of Kaddish Baruch Hu is science, they learn some basic levels of math, um, they generally don't learn English, maybe some of the schools do, but generally not. Um, and then um, once they hit, uh, Cheder usually lasts till eighth grade, till about 13 or 14 years old, and when they go off to the Yeshiva Katana, they're no more Limudei Chol, they're no more secular subjects. Um, in Elisha's school in Telstone, where he graduated, they, his year, maybe the year before, they actually phased out secular subjects already in eighth grade. I mean, they, even, they even went a year earlier, and that meant seventh grade was the last formal secular education that, that any of the boys received and, and, and continued to receive. And again, it's with this aim of, of learning Torah as the primary endeavor. That's what we're doing. That's our link to Kedusha. The, um, I remember when I lived in a modern Orthodox in a Dati Lumi place, uh, one of the more serious families, I think the mother opined that 
she said, she, she said the, the community is a wonderful community, very warm, a lot of chesed. She said, no Talmudic Chachamim are going to come out of this school system here, she said. They just don't have that intensity of focus. Torah is something you did because it was another subject you learned. But that's, that's ain't a davar domen. It's not, uh, you can't compare the two. Um, I should say, to be fair, there are Talmudic, she's wrong. There are Talmudic Chachamim of, of a very high level who come out of the Dati Leumin world. They're generally the exceptions. Whereas in the Haredi and the Yeshiva system, it's more than just the exception. A lot of people, a lot of boys, um, wind up learning Torah on a very rigorous, uh, intensive, high level, and more important than any of the levels, they're masmidim. We know there are no shortcuts. It's just about how you live your life. If 24-7 you can be sitting with the safer open, um, and hopefully you're not sneezing, in, uh, sneezing or sleeping in front of it, and hopefully you're not engrossed in your phone and playing any video games, the... Um, the um, Right, then um, that's seen as the ideal. Um, often, what are they learning? They're learning Shas and Poskim. Shas and Poskim is, is, is a short term for the Gemara and the commentaries. Rishoni Machronim. Very little Tanakh. Tanakh is subsumed. It's part of what comes up in, in, in your learning, and it comes up all the time. And indeed, they wind up knowing it very well, but it's not a f- central focus. You'll find it, let's say, as a central focus in the Dati Lumi world. Uh, they, 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 sometimes they learn that on a, on, a, on a higher level. But generally in the yeshivas, it's, it's all shots and poskim. That's the center. We spent a lot of time in this class describing why that, that focus is, 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 is why shots and poskim is, is the focus. Um, there is chumash. There is some halacha, uh, right? They learn throughout the week. They learn on Shabbos. They learn during vacations, as we'll describe. Um, so here's what it is to be a boy. And I'm talking about the boys because the girls don't have an obligation of learning Torah. It's true, as, we, as when we talked about Sarashnir and the Beis Yaakov system, um, girls learn Torah on a higher level institutionally than they ever have in the past. Uh, I know that as my uh, Naomi, I'm very proud of her. She's become a really very fine student, and she's 18, and now she's been learning all around the clock. She's learning halacha, and I'm thrilled that she knows all these great halachas, very practical. Uh, she's into it. She, she learns with a friend, um, but they don't have to do that. As uh, according to halacha, it's great for them to do it, and certainly that it, it, it enriches their year shemaim, and it's very it's very important that the, that the women are on this level in, in, our, in our very uh, assimilationist gener- gen- generation. Um, but the learning is, about the, is what the boys do. So the boys go to Cheder. Uh, there's, there's several beautiful men hugging from the youngest age they go. The father uh, wraps the boy in the talus on the first day when they first go to Cheder. Sometimes they, the, the year before they start the Cheder uh, when it's the boy's birthday. So the father brings the boy um, you know, three or four year old boy to hey, you seen this? Rabbi Greenwald spoke about when he just Oh right, right, he gives an the absurd. You're right. And they bring them in and they put the little plastic over the pages of the Talmud, put some honey on it, so the boy licks the honey, the sweetness from the from the pages, they should have an association. It's all sweet, you just have to have the sophistication to recognize it. So from a child's perspective, it's the honey that they lick, which is an age-old uh, minhag. And uh, the boys, uh, they often start by learning Vayikra, which is the most technical, hardest of the, of the sections of the Chumash. And once they got that down, everything else flows much more easily. 
Um, and they graduate uh, in different places. They learn, uh, there are different school systems. There's Zilberman, which I'm not going to get into, which is a whole unique system. Uh, they, they probably earlier than uh, many, than the Maharal at least would have been happy with. Remember, the Maharal uh, was in favor of waiting before the boy is mature enough to start learning Gemara. But usually, um, my Hillel, for example, is learning, is knee deep in Gemara. His life is Gemara. Right now, he's uh, 10 years old. And, and, and that's, that's, that's often the case. They graduate Yeshiva Kitana, which is high school, three years. I guess they, when they're juniors, in the equivalent of juniors in high school, that's when they graduate. And then they go off to Yeshiva Gedola. Uh, and I'm going to spend some time in Yeshiva Gedola because that's seen as the fulcrum, to some degree, of the Torah world. Um, usually they're 16 or 17 years old. They apply to Yeshiva Gedola. Applications, for the boys at least, are a big, are big deal. It's a rite of passage, it's competitive. There is ego involved, but it's L'Shem Shemayim. It's the same um, idea that you remember when the, when the modern yeshiva movement founded by Rav Chaim Volozhin a couple hundred years ago, he understood that you, you use the Yetzirah to, to, to um, galvanize the Yetzirah. So you make a competitive system an Ivy exactly that that whole concept of the Ivy League competitive people want to get in and and so on as and, and it's simply effective that's the way that's the way we are so why not use that for our for our betterment and the boys are motivated they want to get into good 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 institutions some for lesser reasons some for better reasons um, and let me take a moment to, to talk about what kind of institutions are out there you should be aware of some of the names most people here I don't think most of you wouldn't know um, there are I guess in yeshiva terms, the equivalent of the Ivy League. There's a top tier. Who makes them? You know, Ivy League has a whole, how, how did they get to be Ivy League is a whole story. Obviously, it works differently in Eretz Yisrael and, and, and in the yeshiva system, but not that differently. What happens is certain names become celebrated for, for, for reasons I'm about to describe. It attracts the best and the brightest. The best and the brightest then attract more of the best and the brightest. That becomes the prestigious place and, 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 and it emerges. And, 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 and sometimes that can change. It can change overnight if a yeshiva gets a reputation. If certain students go with ill repute, then it, then it can suddenly uh, get an ill reputation. There are lower level yeshivas that suddenly emerge and rise in the ranks. Um, what are some of the factors? There's no formal ranking, but there is a common knowledge. Um, there is the prestige factor itself. If there are certain yeshivas where a lot of gedolim went, it's nice to go there too. Right? Panovich. To say you went to Panovich is, is a big deal. Um, we realize that a lot of this is shallow and often incorrect. Sometimes you can go to a very prestigious yeshiva and find airheads all around you. And uh, I mean, this is true in institutions too. I, I went to a college, uh, UC Berkeley, that's, that's supposedly re reputable. I remember, and, and when I was there, I thought, wow, I'm in Berkeley. And then in some of the classes, I remember meeting the people and talking with them on what was apparently a deep level and thinking, they don't know very much. And what they know, they don't analyze very well. I thought some of the people seemed like morons to me. I mean, not that I was on such a high level, but, uh, but it, it, you could be, you could be somebody who knows how to make the grades and not be particularly bright. And we know that's true, that sometimes in the top schools, there are very mediocre students. And conversely, in state schools, which are looked down upon, sometimes you can have brilliant students. Same thing with yeshivas. You could have great masmidim guys who sit there Yomam Balayla in a totally mediocre place. You could have the most prestigious place that the guy simply got in because he has a famous last name. 
a lot of things work by, uh, I should mention this term, in Israel in general, and certainly the yeshiva system, things work often by protectia. If you're part of a family, a recognized family, again, the kid may be not special in, in the least, but if his father's grandfather, if the family name is a great name, um, he'll often get in. It's good for the yeshiva's prestige. Um, these are human beings also in the yeshivas. I'm describing the system as it is, not an idealized version. Um, <clears throat> there is the factor, the family factor. If you send your children, you know, I went there, my grandfather went there, people often go just to the place where all their brothers went. Um, there are legends that emerge about the various yeshivas. We've told a few of them. Uh, there are true stories, sometimes, not, sometimes inflated stories. Um, there's a place, one of the great places in Eretz Israel today called Tifrach, located in Tifrach. A lot of the time the yeshivas take on, have a formal name that nobody knows and they're just called by, I think Tifrach has a different name too, but it's called by this, the uh, yeshuv, where it's located in the, in the western Negev. Um, Tifrach was like this, I mentioned before, Tiflach, Tiflach uh, uh, adopted a standard where they accepted st students almost across the board. I think there were some exceptions to this, but almost all the students who were accepted, their fathers learned full-time. And when that became known, after a year or two, it, it took on a mystique, and people wanted to go there. And it became a thing, and now Tifrach is recognized as one of the outstanding yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael because it attracts such stellar students, such serious, again, uh, singularly motivated um, individuals. Um, they also, one, one trick a yeshiva can do to upgrade itself is to have a very strict, what's called a takanon. Um, certainly none of those things, um, right? No, 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 no electronic gadgets, including even kosher tel telephones. The boys are not allowed to. The boys don't go to restaurants. Uh, oh, there are all kinds of things, depending on where you are. Um, I know in terms of my kids, a couple of my sons like that. They want the stricter time. They, they, they're not looking for anything anyway, and they like the fact that the takanon is very strict, that they're very um, strongly d disciplined. They have to be there. They sit in shachris for a certain period. Um, I dropped, last vlog by Omer, I dropped, I took my carpool, I took my, my Alicia and his friends up uh, to remote, and then I thought, well, okay, I'm going to sit and learn Tyra. And it was rush hour. I don't like to drive in rush hour anyway. Got to sit and learn anyway. So I found a nice space mattress. And I dab in Shakris in a Nathina. Um, it's like a pre-high school um, place. It was fantastic. Serious, slow, careful davening. After Shakris, the boys remained with their tefillin on their heads for a good hour as the Rebbe got up and gave what was a very long, and I'm sure in almost any other scenario, boring, Technical kind of a drush, you know, like sheer on, 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 on all kinds of things. There was a, you could have heard a pin drop. The boys were serious. That was what they expected. A very, uh, and only afterwards they could have breakfast. Can you imagine in Derek? The guys would be moaning and groaning, I'm starving, Rebbe, I can't take it anymore. Right? But these, these boys really were on a very serious level. That's, that attracts, if you, can, if you can hear the dynamic I'm trying to describe, that attracts, that takes out a mystique and attracts a certain level of people. That's what's celebrated. So people want that. Um, realize that there's a circular logic of why some yeshivas are called best. They're best because they're the best. And then the best become the best. And the worst of the worst because they're like that. Uh, okay, this is... Uh, the negative side, of course, if, this, if uh, places that are perceived as too modern, that's definitely a no-no. 
if the boys dress in a certain way, dress sometimes uh, creates a um, mystique around the place. Um, certainly, if the boys don't have good intellectual skills, you, you do have to be able to learn de decently. Um, you simply won't make it in these places. You have a weaker chance of acceptance. Um, there, this concept of protectia that is a key word in all of Israeli society. You have friends who have friends, you have connections, you have people can influence. If the family's wealthy, the kids get placed more easily. Uh, if they're politically connected, um, there's such a thing as deal making. This Rosh Hashiva needs his daughter to get into a certain seminary, and this head of the seminary need, needs his, uh, his son to get into a certain yeshiva, so they trade. Even if the kids wouldn't have ordinarily gotten in, that stuff happens too. Um, they're human beings. Okay, uh, what are the names of some? Of, what are the names of some of the best yeshivas as they're perceived in Eretz Israel? Uh, in not uh, this is not in order. I, I don't know which is the best, uh, but in the top tier, and I went over this list with several. I compared this list with several several different experts, and it was revised and revised again. But to the best of my knowledge, and everything can everything's fluid and can change from one, one year to the next. But many, almost everybody who put up at the top, Chevron, the ancient Chevron that we know back from Slobodka, from from Knesset, really Knesset, um, Knesset Israel and then eventually in Hebron, and then it, was, then it moved to Yushalayim, just down the street. Today, Hebron, the main Hebron is in Givat Mordechai. Um, it's about 1,200 students today. It, was, it dates back to 1877 to Slobodka. Uh, it's a great yeshiva. Panovich remains one of the great yeshivas. Remember the, the, the Panovich Rebbe and the Bnei Brak and the Mystique, founded in 1943 in the middle of the war. He set the, remember, it set the cornerstone, the story we told. Today, there are 1,400 students. And it's very sadly split, which was a dynamic we discussed yesterday, the, pol the political aspect of the world as it is today. Um, Tifrach was only founded in 1966. Today there are 800 students. There's Grodna and Ashdod, and there's another branch in Beryakov. There's Or Yisrael and Petach Tikva, Beis Matisyao and Bnei Brak, and also Orchus Teire and Bnei Brak. So those are often the names that you hear listed in the first tier. The second tier, I, I, this is not a list, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to spend all day talking about all the yeshivas, but there's some prominent names and I'll make some comments by them. There, the second tier, which some people say some of these belong in the first level, I don't know. There's um, in Yerushalayim, you've got Yad Aron, Kol Taira, Kol Taira we mentioned that was Rav Shlomo Zaman Orbach's yeshiva. Um, Mir Brachfeld, right across from Kiryat Sefer, the Mir is a branch. There's Nachlas Levim in Haifa, so Levachik in Yerushalayim, Knesset Yitzchak in Chadera, Kaplan Yerushalayim, Wolfson in Yerushalayim, that's where uh, one of my sons is. Okay. Um, after Yeshiva Gedolim, what do you do? So if you're really successful in your learning, you stay and learn. Now, eventually, boys get married. Um, they can continue learning. If their learning is successful, they're sometimes not pushed to marriage. Uh, at, a, at a young age, it really goes by individual. Um, they can sometimes graduate to special niche kolels, learning specific topics or a certain style with a certain dynamic personality or groups of, pers groups of people. Um, one of the famous kolels, high level, distinct places is right down the street is Brisk, right, we, which we've discussed here before and remains uh, um, a unique, remember they learn kachim, they learn, they learn unusual, uh, very, very rigorously. Um, remember, they, 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 their, their focus, like brisker tire in general, is on um, to avoid complex svaros. They want straightforward din, as it's written in Chazal. And um, there are other great kolels. There's the Maharil in Ramot, uh, very deep analysis. There's a place called Malas Atayra in Yushalayim. 
In Kiryas Sefer, there are a few places. One is Knesset Sagdola. Uh, in Carmiel, way in the north of the country, a place called Rina Shaltaira. And then um, the largest kolel in Eretz Yisrael, the Mir in Yushalayim. Is more than a kolel. It's a variety of different things. It also attracts many stellar students from around the diaspora. You hear a lot of English spoken in the Mir. Um, that's a little bit of a, of a uh, sample survey of the yeshivish world. I want to go to the Hasidic world. But go ahead. Is the main language not English? Not the main language. It depends where you are. See, the mirror is confusing. We said that um, Lakewood is arguably the largest yeshiva in the world. Uh, the number is given as 6,000. Maybe it's debatable because not everybody is always there. How do you compare student lists? The mirror is even more complicated because it's not one organized place. It's broken down by individual shiurim classes, and the different shiurim have their own dynamic, their own politics, as it were. Um, and so certainly there are Anglo sections in the mirror, and there are absolutely Israeli sections and Yiddish-speaking sections in the mirror, too. So the, it's, it's really a city. It's like a little city of Tyre. Um, in, in, in this one, with many buildings too. You're lucky if you can get a makom in some of the, some of the more central uh, Bate Medrash in, in Mir. Now I'm making a separate discussion, I, I'm having a separate discussion around the Hasidic world, but as I pointed out before, there's a lot of overlap. There are a lot of Hasidic boys who go to the yeshivish, yeshivas, the Litvish yeshivas, because frankly and honestly, the Litvish yeshivas are often the most prestigious. And they strive for that. People want that. Some people. I mean, you know human nature in this way. If you can see that there's a... And it's not just ego and, and arrogance that motivates people. If you happen to be exceptionally gifted, sometimes it's really great to be around a bunch of like-minded people where you can thrive, where you can torque and prosper under those circumstances. However, in most of the various, we've talked about many Hasidic dynasties that exist today, uh, the various Hasidic world often much overlap, they generally attend institutions that are connected with their own respective rebbe's. Some of the, some of the various Hasidic courtyards, the Chatser, is, are very small and they have small schools. Sometimes one school serves several different Hasidic groups that have compatible hashkafas. Uh, Rebbe's who are, who are overlapping, who are friends. A lot of it obviously depends on money and, and, and ge geographical location. Um, in the Hasid, so in the in the Hasidic yeshivas, then it's not as competitive, and it's not as um, people are not as self-conscious about level because there it's more important to get everybody in the Hasidus in this place. Well, if you take a random sampling of any group of people, you're going to have strong and weak and everybody in between. So there, there, there isn't the prestige factor that you find in the, in the Litvish world. I mean, I don't know if this is, maybe this needs to be just pointed out. In the Litvish system, it's obvious that there's fallout. If you can't make it, you know, there's the top tier, second tier. Once you're already in the lower levels of the yeshivas, there's immense dropout rates. Those are the boys who often you find in going to the army or going to the workforce. Sometimes not even becoming, not becoming from, because they feel nebuch, they feel like uh, they're looked down upon. In the Hasidic world, maybe they don't always achieve the same greatness in the learning department. Sometimes they do, but not as much, because the pressure isn't there. On the other hand, the lower level guys can feel at home. They also are, are, are brought in and made, and made a part of uh, whatever's going on. So there are pros and cons in each, in each structure. Again, I, 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 I'm trying to, I mean, obviously I'm making editorial comments and criticizing, but I, I'm just describing the reality as it is. 
uh, to the best of my ability. Um, there is some informal ranking even in the Hasidic places. So let's say some of the really prestigious, the more prestigious Hasidic uh, um, yeshivas are Sfas Emes, which is Hasidic Gur, not a surprise to us because we know the huge emphasis um, that the, that the Hasidic Rebbe's um, place, actually the, the Ger Rebbe's historically placed on Limud Taira. Remember, they're part of the revolution, within the revolution, the Kutzker generation. So it's not a surprise that till today the yeshiva is very, uh, on a very high level. I was gratified to find, I don't know if you remember this way back in history, I, finally, I, I found the original source where I saw it first. I just found it over Shabbos, speaking of Ger Hasidim. Um, remember I pointed out, we, we asked the question, why didn't Hizkiyahu Melech sing Shira? that fateful morning after the big salvation, 185,000 troops downed, and he had, had he only sang Shira, he would have been Mashiach. And the suggestion that I said is that he was too used to the miracles. Um, I found it in the Chidusharim, the founder, the, the Kutzker of his brother-in-law, the founder of, of Gerich Hasidus. Uh, it's, he's, he's the one who writes about that. So, oh good, I have my source. And he said it better than me, obviously, or better than I recollected it. Um, other prestigious, um, higher level Hasidic places in Yerushalayim, there's a place called Chaim Moshe, all, all close to us here. Um, Chibina in Bnei Brak. It is generally, for Hasidim, okay to focus on Parnassa, on, on making, getting a job in Israel, than it is for Litvish. As we said before, for Litvish, that's a stigma. You wouldn't get in, your, your, your kid wouldn't get into, uh, into Tifrach, as we said. And um, in the Chassidic world, you can make money and learn and be serious and be connected to the Rebbe. But um, that's one of the sociological differences today. The Hasidim don't always acknowledge the fact that the, the, the Lefish world has the edge in terms of top level of Torah learning, but okay. Yeah, these are some of the interesting dynamics of today. In the Sephardi world, much can be said, the same as said there too, a lot of integration. Um, in the yeshivas, um, the Sephardi boys, it can be said in general in Israel as a whole, especially if they're serious, prefer, they favor Ashkenazi institutions. They want to get in. And there's discrimination. They're not all accepted. Um, people defend this. They say that the yeshivas are created representing different factors, fa factions, and um, they're different minhagim. So it makes sense if you have an Ashkenazi style yeshiva with Ashkenazi Ashkenazi mode of learning that traces itself back to the great yeshivas of Europe, that the student body should reflect that and be mostly from that background too, is the way it's defended. It's not that the Sephardi boys lack good quality Sephardi yeshivas, but again, you have this whole Ivy League thing going on where the perception, whether it's true or not or fair or not, the perception is if you want to go to the best, the best tends to be found in the Ashkenazi world. Interestingly, this, the, the, um, the perception is true in yeshivas and it's true across the board to seminaries. Sephardi girls want to get into Ashkenazi, generally Ashkenazi seminaries. And again, Are seminaries rated? Like, not as much. Yes, they're rated for sure. Sniff. For example, in Yushalayim is... is, is well, what are they studying? Not by... Um, there, the factors are different. Sneos is more of a factor. Also, strictness. So weird. It's a different dynamic. Right, right, right. It works differently in the, in the sector of the world. What, what's considered prestigious. In religious terms, so religiosity tends to be, you know, these, these are the factors that make it more desirable. Um, in any case, the dynamic is that the Sephardi boys often want to get into the Ash Ashkenazi yeshivas, um, 
and are not accepted, usually the quota is no more and often le considerably less than 30% on Sephardi. And it's a catch-22, because if yeshiva would be extraordinary and simply say, I don't care who comes, I just want good students, and accept everybody, and let's say they get more Sephardi students, they, their the people would perceive even the Sephardim wouldn't want to go there. It would be perceived then as a Sephardi yeshiva, and therefore would, the perception unfairly would be that that's a lower level, and they don't want to go there, and indeed once the perception is that way, then indeed the place becomes lower level. You know how that happens? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy? So these are the strange dynamics that exist today. It exists out there in the secular society, so it's logical with human nature that it exists in, uh, in the yeshiva world as well. Um, the Chazonish was aware of this dynamic way back when, when this whole system was being established and the Rosh Yeshiva were struggling to get names for themselves and establish good, reputable institutions, and they did not always accept all the students, and the Chazonish criticized them. He, uh, when one Rosh Yeshiva said that the Sephardi, the reason he didn't want to accept Sephardi boys was that they didn't all understand Yiddish, the Chazonish told them, teach in Hebrew. When they said, they countered, um, he, they, they said, well, no, it's, you know, we have the Mahthamas of Sophos, we don't want to teach Ivrit, because it's, it's, the, it's the Zionist, it's the secular language, they want to uh, brainwash our boys, we want them to learn Yiddish, and the Sephardim are not going to have that, which is a strong argument, because we want, them, we want these boys to stay from. People in yeshivas often don't become from too. Right? It's a struggle to maintain Frumkai to transmit to the next generation. So the Chazanish's response was that it's more important, the higher value is teaching any Jew who wants to learn. And I don't know about you, but I hear the words of the Chazanish in this discussion and I think, obviously, Pshita. Okay, so, you know, sometimes you can hear the Gadol Hador say the MS and the people who are running the practical nuts and bolts of what makes the world, the yeshiva world, don't always listen. And um, that's not as it should be. In theory, Torah, you know, the Gedolim say, I don't know how to explain this, why, if the Hasanish said it, why they didn't just say, okay, well, let's do it then. No more quotas. But they didn't. I guess they call it the Yitzhahara. It, Rav Shach was the same as the Hasanish. He was vehement. He opposed discrimination against Sephardi students. And they said, thank you very much for your opinion, Rav Shach. Again, similar things persist till today. Um, okay. All that being said, there are absolutely fantastic Sephardi yeshivas, and they attract great level boys, and they're Ashkenazi boys, the exception, but there are Ashkenazi boys who learn there. Um, they generally fall into two distinct groups, and I alluded to this yesterday when we talked about Ravadia. The Sephardi world today, like the Ashkenazi world today, is, is, is um, fractious. There are different hashkafas, different ways of uh, doing things. Um, Generally speaking, we, the, the, you talk about those connected with Rabbi Yosef, Shas, um, the what's let's say the more authentic Sephardi, uh, Sephardi pride kinds of kinds of um, approach, and then there's the Mish Mishnah. I can I can never say this. Uh, this the. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's the term in Hebrew for the merger of Ashkenaz and Ashkesvard, or Svashkenaz, uh, or whatever, 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 whatever it is. In other words, they're effectively, I, I mean, I don't like to use these nicknames, but I think Rav Yaakov Hillel, who we were Zolchim, was one of the Gedolim of the Sephardi world and of the world in general. He learned the Gateshead, and clearly he's of this dimension. I don't think he has a strong 
certainly reveals reveres Ravadi Yosef, but I don't think he's in that camp. I think he's much more in the second group. For example, um, those who are in the um, Ashkenazi style, they um, some of the great yeshivas include Maor HaTorah in Yerushalayim. There's a place called Dat Chaim, uh, Dat Chaim in Beit Vagan in Yerushalayim. In Bnei Brak, there's Beit Shmaya. In Ber Yaakov, there's Shirit Yosef. They're more Ashkenazi in style. They're less connected with Shas. You might find their students voting with the um, Yahadut Torah, the Gimel party. Um, and then there's the Ashkenaz, then there's the Rabbi Yosef, the Shas, Sephardi style. Of course, the great oldest of the yeshivas, um, Porat Yosef, in, Jews, in, the Jewish, in the Jewish quarter of the old city, which was founded in 1923. That's considered the flagship Sephardi yeshiva. But there are others. There's Kisei Rachamim in Bnei Brak, Chazon Avadi in Romeima. Um, What's yeshiva like? Here's a typical day. And with all these differences, most of them, this is a general rule, and there are obviously exceptions. Uh, you wake up in the morning, Shachris is 7 o'clock. They say 7 o'clock, Shachris, it's not Derek, 7 o'clock. It is, um, the boys are, if, especially in the top tier, and the second tier, and even the third tier yeshivas, um, they're there. It's just not done. It's unheard of. You wouldn't not go. It's not even a struggle with your Yitzhahara and the alarm clock. Because it's one of those things that you just draw, I remember of Dessler's uh, battle lines, the Mikutata Bechira, that's no longer a battle. When everybody gets up, you get up too much more easily. It's one of the reasons why, you know, one of the downsides of being in a place like there, if we're so laid back, we're so forgiving, and so on, well, it's an option to sleep in. So you sleep in, if you, if you want to. Um, I, I mentioned this point, and one of my great students from last year is now in a really serious place, and where last year he was always good, he always came, but it was a bit of a struggle, this year, it's not even a Havamina. He wrote me an email saying how great it is to be in a place where that's just a given. Everybody's in Shachris, 7 o'clock, more or late, more or less, sometimes earlier, sometimes later. Seder starts officially at 9 o'clock. That's pretty much standard. Uh, Seder goes for a good three hours. Um, you'll see guys taking breaks here and there, and in the weaker place, longer breaks. You'll see there is a culture of smoking cigarettes. It's considered cigarette smoking is not defensible, but maybe because it's one of those few things that, you know, few um, types that can be, you know, seen as mutter. Uh, the boys, boys, it's an, okay, it's not, but in their perception, because it's so widely done, they um, that's one of the things that they can indulge. They can indulge that type um, varies from place to place. We know the mass medium, the serious boys don't take breaks. So really, really, it's, it also depends on the yeshiva. Uh, but generally speaking, in the top level places, they learn stark 9 to 12. They just sit there and they go at it. You should visit yeshiva, real yeshiva. And you should see the dynamic in a base medrash. It's infectious. It's thrilling. And, 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 and you kind of, you know, maybe it's intimidating too because you go, oh, how could I ever be here? How could I ever make it? And I don't have, I, I'm ADD. I don't have this kind of attention span. I can sit and just learn self-motivated on my own. But if you're around that environment long enough, you'd be surprised. It brings out the best in a person. Um, some of our graduates in Derek go on to become serious lamdanim, learners, and they go into such an environment and they, what do you know? Well, they surprise themselves. They actually take off under the circumstances. Cir circumstances be gone important. If I ever mentioned, there's this um, Rambam, in Hilchos Deos, if you're familiar, it's the sixth chapter uh, that talks about. You familiar with this one? Yeah. Okay, I mentioned before. The um, it's the sixth chapter. He mentions the first first two halachos that it's all about who you're with. So if you're defined by having by being around tzaddikim, you'll be that way yourself. Um, shir usually comes at twelve o'clock to one o'clock. 
So you're learning, preparing for three hours, going to Shir at 12 o'clock, their Mar Makomos put up. Um, mincha is usually at 1.15, so Shir, let's say, is, is, is 12 to 1.15. Um, officially, there's a Seder again, the afternoon Seder begins at, uh, there's lunch and break. Officially, Seder starts at 3.30. Um, the serious boys are still in the base medrash all through the break. No such thing as taking a long break or a nap. Some boys take a nap. Some take a nap they, in, in, in the base medrash. Right? They put their head down. That way they don't sleep too long, too deeply, and they can get a little refreshment, but not really leave the Torah uh, behind. Um, 3.30 afternoon Seder. Musr Seder, usually 6.45. Independently, or they'll get a Musr Shmus from a, from a Mashkiach or a Shiva. Mairiv at 7.15. Uh, there are exceptions to these rules. I'm just giving you a feeling of what life is like. Um, 7.15, again, you break for dinner now, a little bit of a break. Night Seder starts at 8.30, goes till midnight or later. And then to sleep and up for the next morning. Um, in the series yeshivas, I've talked to boys. Everybody has a Yetzirah. There's a temptation for the good boys who really put in a day like we just described to then stay up late and schmooze a little bit. And of course, the level of their schmoozing and talking in Torah usually, it's not a bad thing, but they say it's a Yetzirah because then they're tired the next day. And you, you, know, you think you're the only ones in the world to get tired. Uh, yeah, they have their, their own struggles and so on. So if they're very disciplined, they're able to get to sleep on time. Sometimes there's noise in the dormitory. Welcome to communal life. Um, that's what a day in the life is like. The, um, some boys stay up well into the morning hours, and you have to know your limitations, how much sleep you can do with, and how much sleep you can do without. The um, Thursday night, like we, tr- we try to simulate here, uh, but you go to a real yeshiva and see what, it, see what a real mishmar all-nighter is like. It's on fire. It's inspiring. You should see it. It's true. It's motivated by having a nice cholent, but, uh, but, but a serious mishmar is, 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 is something to behold. Yeah? Are they coffee drinkers? Like, do they Often, yeah, coffee is part of the culture too, correct? It's, a, it's another cheap, easy uh, pleasure, something, you know, like something you can do. For sure, coffee is there. Um, there are a lot of boys that don't smoke, don't get me wrong, smoking is not everywhere, but some people are surprised when they go to, wow, I thought this was a prestigious place for all these low lives doing smoking, but it, it, it seems to be part of, 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 of the culture. Um, no, it doesn't. Smoke's not prestigious. It's just it's just a part of the no, accepted I mean, I dynamic. I'm, 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 I'm back in the office regarding why would someone think that it's not prestigious to smoke? Oh, um, well. Does it think that anybody does whether they're successful or not? Maybe I guess so. I, I I don't. Maybe this is my own bias that I carry with me. I look at smokers as sort of low lives people who give into their tithes. I know there's some very prestigious Talmud Chachamim who smoke, but by definition, the person saying I can't really control myself by smoking. That's what, it, that's what it seems to me. That's the statement they're making. It's not just that, though. Especially today when the post can come out very, very emphatically, you know, with the knowledge that it, 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 it's in, injurious to a person's health. So then a person does it anyway, it doesn't reflect very well on them. No, no, no. It, it, no, 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 no. To be very honest, it's one thing if, uh, for example, a person nowadays, like our age, would smoke. Because they already know the danger. But I'm but talking about guys your age. I'm talking about some of the issues. Shiba Gidola. Yeah, but back your age. They, right, back then they didn't know enough, and they were addicted. That's fair. I'm, I, I am talking today. What are you going to say, Barack? But I mean, also, those are the guys who take usually a lot of breaks to smoke, and that's like... Also, Bithel Tyra. Correct, correct, right, right, right. So it's all part of the package. Um, yeah, again, Thursday night's the peak Seder of the week. People often sleep off 
Friday after after the intensive, you know, it's like you give it all you got Thursday night, Friday already you sleep up, Shabbos is already a new Seder, you start you start afresh. Um, most yeshivas learn mesechtas, the choice of mesechtas, mostly from Noshim and Nezikim and maybe a few from Moed. Um, usually they're about a certain, I just mentioned this the other day, right, 10 to 12 popular mesechtas that are learned in yeshivas. Um, and often in a cycle that repeats itself every five years, and this, and that's like a standard. They just go through the cycle. Um, we mentioned there are exceptions to this. The best students learn in between starring. They learn on Shabbos. They learn during vacation. Masmidim hasmada is valued. It's more than anything. You remember the most important part of your body. You need to be Tamil Chacham. It's your zitzfleisch. That's certainly their esteemed. The, it's interesting, you know, what makes in different cultures, different societies, who are the revered people? Sometimes the people who nobody, you never even hear him speak, you've never had a conversation with him. But every time you enter the base medrash, he's there with a serious, seriousness of purpose, learning in his core corner, unobtrusively, quietly, and everybody has utmost respect for him. Right, that's, that's, that's the dynamic we're describing. The, um, to be a masmid helps to have good memory, have sharp analytical skills. Those are the people who are often revered in yeshivas. There are no grades, so you know, how does it emerge who are the real peak students? These are the qualities that, that, are, that usually emerge. Um, they do offer tests. The tests are given not so much in a punitive way, although there are motivators, and um, they, often offer, they often give out for financial incentives. These boys have very little if no money, and the test give them whatever little pocket change they have to buy a candy bar or something like that occasionally uh, to do the laundry. Yeah, the parents give them some money. The parents usually are not that, that not that well to do either. Um, there is a dynamic that yeshiv that you could be yeshivola. Listen, if you go there at seventeen, you get married. Let's say twenty-two. I mean, my, uh, my son who's twenty has a friend already who's married, but that's young. Twenty is pretty young for marriage. Um, but 22, 23, 24 already is pretty normal uh, to get married. Um, that's a lot of years in the same place. Uh, sometimes it gets hard. People need what's called chizik, and that's actually a term that's used. They sometimes spend a semester of chizik going to another place. The advantage of staying in the same place is you can be more of a masmid. You know, every time you go to a new place, you have to learn all the ins and outs, it takes time, it's a Torah. If you just stay in one place and learn, you can master all of Shas more effectively. Um, so there are, there's criticism about Chizik. There's a great uh, Rosh Hashiva by the name of Rav Zrahi, who's known for a very sharp wit. Uh, he, he's a, he was of a Teres Yisrael. He said, um, people who go for Chizik to other yeshivas are machazik one thing usually, the place they left is much stronger now that they're no longer there. Uh, they're very, very sharp words. Um, but sometimes they go and they recharge their batteries, different environments, they get a different perspective. Um, davening in yeshivas is often described in people's experiences as the best davening in the world. Uh, often slower, usually slower than in most shuls. Shuls often can be balabatish. People are, have what they have to do. So there's a rush dynamic sometimes you feel. Uh, in yeshiva, we're not rushing for anything. We're here to daven. And we're going to daven good. We're, the world is sitting on our shoulders. We better make, make a good, good case before the Ibishter, before Kaddish Baruch Hu. Uh, there is a pointed emphasis on kavana. Well, that's an obvious statement. What else are we doing in davening if not having kavana? But, okay, they put this at the forefront. You have to daven. And the boys really, in the good yeshivas especially, they, they really believe that they're the centerpiece of the universe. They really are. And so if their davening is, is shvach, Kali Yisrael's in trouble. The world's in trouble. 
and so there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's an awe, a reverence. You should daven in such a place. Um, Yantif davening is sometimes, depending on who's leading, out of this world as it should be. There's a youthful enthusiasm and idealism that exists. I mean, Leah and Hashem, is coming. So we didn't used to have Yantif davening. And just a few years ago, we, Rabbi Brickman and I talked about it. We, 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 we didn't have a derech. Where did they go? Downstairs. The guys kind of fell away. It was terrible. It's too big. The big guys got lost in the shuffles, too long, too intense. We have a nice serious davening up here. But for people who already who are more seasoned daveners who know the Hebrew, they, you know, this year, like downstairs is fantastic too. Downstairs is kind of like fits the bill of what I'm describing here too in Or Sameach. We have a very holy, wonderful um, main base medrash. Uh, and if you're there, you know, as a young person, and even older people flock there too. Sometimes you can't get a seat. The atmosphere is majestic. It can be. It can transform your life. Read about how um, Rebetzin Shane describes the mirror in the 1930s back in Poland, and what it was to daven there. She said she was in awe. She'd never encountered a davening that rich, uh, and she felt so embarrassed. She felt like such an airheaded American. I think is the way she described it. She could barely maintain the thought from one second to the next, and she'd look around, and these people were davening. In the, in the purest sense of the term. So that's what it can be like in the best of, best of circumstances. Um, in order to be alumni, go back to their original yeshivas, go back home as it were. Uh, they'll even sleep on the floor a lot of the time because there's no bed space there just to be able to go there and be there for davening. Um, standing room only, and even then they have to hang from the rafters. Uh, but for many, I'm exaggerating, but it's, it's worth it. Um, After they are in Yeshiva Gedola, the best students are encouraged to remain in learning, if not you know, indefinitely, forever. Um, certainly after they're into marriage, the whole concept of marriage, central in discussion in the Yeshiva world in marriage is, will he learn? How long will he learn? Is she prepared to support him? Are her parents prepared to pay uh, to be able to sustain his learning, possibly indefinitely? Well, they buy him an apartment. It's called a Sidur, Sidur Malay. They get a full, full, full treatment. Uh, wealthy parents whose values are Torah might do that, uh, might arrange that. That's less viable as the years pass. There are only so many wealthy parents around. Um, but, uh, but students are, often will stay in learning, um, usually in Kolel. Kolel's, the difference in Yeshiva and Kolel, Kolel pays. Uh, not very much, not always on time. Uh, but they do pay, so it makes it a little bit more feasible. Um, they're, they may or may not be connected to their original yeshiva. Um, sometimes in some yeshivas, they try to send groups of boys to like different towns. Uh, sometimes out of the center, out of Yushalayim, out of Bnei Brak, uh, which is cheaper, because wherever there's religious housing in Eretz Yisrael, the prices go up because um, religious people, I don't know if you know this, tend to have a lot of babies and they need houses. So where there's a demand, the prices skyrocket. So, um, so sometimes they'll send like a group to a less known place, but they are there for one another. And the whole families go together and, and form their own kolels. There is such a dynamic. They learn as long as they can manage financially. And when they can't make it anymore, they go out to, to work. And they're not, they're not given many skills. They're not going to be doctors and lawyers. They don't have the secular background. So they work often in religious jobs, uh, kashrus, learning, teaching. Um, but based in if, 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 they can, if they can find a position and sometimes in technical trades sometimes they have their handyman or whatever other kinds of jobs they can, they can find um, there are in many of the yeshivas there are administrators who actually are there to try to help the married 
bogrim. They have special tzedakah funds for their bogrim, the, the graduates of the yeshiva, to try to sustain them in the early years of their marriage and sometimes through their lives. Um, this is the system of the Torah world, and again, it's a proud thing with all of its flaws, and I haven't held back in describing the flaws. Uh, this is the way, this is the way um, it is today. There were challenges in the previous government to try to dismantle this, to try to draft many of the boys, only keep the serious boys, who's to, who's to choose the serious boys. That was already, when they were, when they were talking in those terms, they're going to force the draft, and, and some boys could say learn, others wouldn't. You realize the dynamics uh, and, and the implications of this are, are, are very serious. Um, probably the boys who wouldn't serve would have protexia. And that means you might have boys who are the top learners who are being drafted because they didn't have any connections and the other boys are remaining behind. That kind of thing can destroy the Torah world from the inside out, much like if you remember the Tsarist decrees did in Russia. When you, put, when you turn religious Jews against religious Jews, that's a great way of destroying the fabric of Torah. That was part of what Lapid and, and the HFT people had in mind. The government fell. Uh, the new government, which was just, just, just managed to, uh, despite uh, by 61 members, is there, is trying to reverse a lot of these decrees. Um, I'm going to mention what these decrees are, are meant to try to sustain this Torah system as best we can to sustain it so Mashiach can come. Yeah. Plus, wouldn't you think that anybody who, who would get drafted would automatically lose their Judaism if they were considered like one of the lower people, even if they were very good students, but they would they, It's they a challenge. Cut? There's no question. I, 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 it's not an absolute, but it certainly would, would, um, would diminish it. We're trying. You hear, you hear the struggle here. What's, what's beneath the surface of this whole discussion is how do we sustain Torah for future generations? What kind of a system can we put in place that will, as best we can, in our limited abilities, with our limited financial resources, and, 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 and with, with going against the odds, the incredibly seductive modern world that, that pulls at the boys? You know, the boys see the the the, um, the lure of the the, the new and, and and all the new machines you could uh, you could buy, but you got to have a job to afford all those machines and, and and the various comforts of modern living that that, that could be theirs. And they might even be able to learn a little bit. Got to get a job. It's, it's a tremendous struggle, this one. And um, the cynical anti-Torah world was banking on that and trying to, trying to use all kinds of mechanisms um, to, uh, to attack the Torah world. Um, the, there was a list just now. This is, we're doing history. So I'm doing, I'm doing, talking about contemporary history. This last week came off, so I'm including this. Uh, this will be for today, at least the last thing I'm going to say. That the changes made in the current government that was part of the deal for the Haredi parties entering the government include the following, uh, following measures. Um, based on the previous government, most yeshiva students would have faced a mandatory draft by 2017. That was what was going to be. Now, they couldn't change the, the, the law too much, but now they've tempered it so much that it's the defense minister who can decide the enlistment targets, but no longer will there be sanctions. They're not going to go to jail if they, don't go to, if they don't go to the army. So effectively, the draft is off. That's with the new, that's with the new I mean, to a large degree. That's with the new government, and that could always be overturned tomorrow too. Who knows? Um, it used, the, the, the earlier, the previous government was going to tie government funds to teaching secular subjects. Volozhin was closed for less in 1892. Now that's been reversed. You can get funding for your school and you can teach what you like to teach in Tyre. Uh, 
There's something called the National Child Allotment that helps large families and encourages large families to keep large families and have lots of babies, because that's what you just do. Uh, you know, first mitzvah, the Torah. And um, those were drastically cut by Lapid, and they're now going back to the previous 2012 levels. So if you have a large family, you get, you get government benefit, benefits. Um, the secular cry is discrimination. You're channeling government funds to the Torah world. You're being selfish. Torah world says all is true except the last point. It's not selfish. By strengthening Torah, it helps all of Kalal Yisrael. We're bringing out the Mashiach. It's not done. It's not done as just a sectarian, uh, you know, kind of kind of a benefit. Um, huge discussion about gerus. They almost put the gerus, the conversion rights, into the hands of local rabbis, which meant that, let's say, a lot of the non-Jews from the Soviet Union want to become Jewish even though they're not religious, they're not keeping the Torah and mitzvot, but they want to have better rights as Israeli citizens, and the loosening the standards of Gerus was going to, was going to, affect, was going to uh, um, bring that about, and that's been reversed too, putting, putting Gerus back under the authority of the, of the, um, of the, uh, of the higher level uh, Rabbanut. Um, there was a law that was going to um, have a, a minimum of four women on committees that appointed Dayanim. Dayanim who, who, who are in charge of religious courts, and the women were going to appoint the Dayanim, and it was, it was a liberalization of the system. That's been reversed. Um, they also very cleverly put in, these guys know their law, they would not, ex in this present government, no reforms on the religious status quo will be possible. So even if one of the other parties wants to bring a new law, a new measure that's going to change status quo, it will be automatically knocked off by this law. You remember the status quo, we talked about the status quo from 1947 that was part of the deal uh, of creating the state. Anyway, that's what's been done. Um, I don't know if this is all good for Claudia Israel. Remember we talked about religious coercion. I have my, res my, 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 my issues with religious coercion. Um, we do better, I think, by focusing on setting, being role models and inviting people in for Cholent. But, um, okay, I'm describing the reality as it is. I'm not quite done talking about this aspect of the Torah world. We have a, little, a few very important um, um, additions to, to mention. And tomorrow, Bezrash Hashem, we're already going to begin um, a discussion of the end of days that we, Bezrash Hashem, will be the next phase in history. Are we going to say something? Just about the Shabbos, are they doing anything? Have you heard about this? Yes, I do know about it. There's a new, uh, uh, the first time ever that there's a bus that uh, drives around Yerushalayim, and I don't know, I guess that remains to be seen, uh, history in the making. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay, have a good evening.